Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, everybody. Welcome you. Welcome those who are listening online. Uh, We are at the end of a series that we are calling, what are we calling it? Twisted Scripture, Twisted Scripture. And again, we're not all just asking the question, not only asking do all, all religions lead to God, but, but we're also trying to nail down that, you know, when Satan loses you as a believer, does he just quit? Does he just say, okay, they're Christians now, let me just leave them alone? And I promise you he doesn't. He didn't, he, well, he went after Jesus in Luke 4 and Matthew 4. He'll go after you as well. And I said there's a strategy that he uses oftentimes. He'll try to pull us back into our old stuff. It's called backsliding. He'll try to give us some shiny new thing to look at, tempt us into, to get us off of the path that God's called us to. Or he'll try that third thing where he says, okay, you like religion? I'm going to give you as much religion as you can tolerate. And he'll, he'll push you into some works-based religion to, make the, to steal the joy of the Lord from, from your walk. Because that's what works will do. It will put a harness on you. That's what Paul says. When he had people coming behind him saying, you have to follow Jesus and you have to now follow the laws of Moses. He says, well, Moses is being preached all over. He says, you guys, we couldn't follow the law of Moses. Why are you telling other people to follow the laws of Moses? And the laws, of, the laws are not just, you know, the Ten Commandments. They have some over 600 laws dietary laws and different things that they expect you to do. And so Paul had an opinion about all these things. He said in 2 Corinthians 11, 12 through 15, he says, and I will keep on doing what I, what I, I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things that they boast about. For such people, he says, are false prophets, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then that his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Now, if that was the only place he made a comment along those lines, that would be one thing. But he didn't. He said, he said again in Galatians 1, 8, and 9. He says, uh, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be what? Under God's curse. He says, if we... He's talking about himself. If he said, if I come back and tell you something different, or an, or an angel shows up miraculously in your life and, and preaches a different gospel other than the one that's been already preached to you, he said, let them be under God's curse. He says, as we have already said, and so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. He said it twice. Do you think he meant it? Yeah. I believe he did. And so I ask you to keep that in mind as we've been looking at some of the major religions and comparing them to what they teach to what the Bible actually says, what the original text says. And some of them actually claim, many of them actually claim angelic visitations for the reasons why they changed the gospel. And so Paul, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, foresaw what was going to happen down the line that there will be people either making it up or demonic activity in their life 
because the scripture says the angel, uh, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. In other words, when he shows up, he doesn't show up looking like the devil. He shows up looking like an angel to deceive many. And if the message is different, he said, than what, I've, what we've already taught, he says, let them be under God's curse. And there have been many. And, so, uh, uh, and it's been eye-opening, to, see, to say the least. So, so far, we've talked about the JWs. If you, haven't, if you missed any of these messages, you can go online and check them out on YouTube or Facebook. We have them. Just go back and check them out. We talked about the JWs with their founder, Charles Taze Russell, who wrote their own Bible, the New World Translation, which they boast is the most accurate of all the translations. But 99% of the scholars out there say it's the worst translation you can get. We talked about the Mormons with their so-called prophet, Joseph Smith, who claimed to have an angelic visitation. You remember what the name of the angel was that, that he saw? Anybody? Moroni. I said just drop the eye, right? Giving him a totally different gospel, one that included polygamy. It wasn't that, isn't that special? I can have as many wives as I want to. And we're going to go into the next life, and we're going to have our own planet. We're going to be gods. I didn't say it. Go back and read the stuff that he said, all right? And then we have New Age with their modern-day evangelist, Oprah Winfrey, and her guru, Eckhart Tolle, which is not new at all, but old Eastern religion, teaching that we all need to just awaken to the truth within that we are gods within, the great I am within us. And the last week, we struck a little closer to home, talking about the Seventh-day Adventists with their founders, William Miller, Millerites, and James, and who, who predicted three times the return of Jesus. He got it wrong the first time, they were wrong the second time, and he went for a third time. And then James and Ellen White, who they fancy her, their prophetess, who in the end, in my opinion, and I grew up with Seventh-day Adventist, wonderful people. But I'm talking about their founding. And, and, and if you look at their founding, they decided to switch from, from worshiping on a Sunday or, or, or any other day to majoring, what I call majoring on the minors. They, they, they insist that you must worship the God on, on, on the Sabbath. And Jesus explicitly said, God, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And so he, he blew that all out of the water. They made you on the minors. And, and, and so they have, a, they have a, what I call a Jesus and approach to the gospel as opposed to a Jesus only. There's a bunch of things you got to do in order to stay, to stay saved in their religion. And they're, they're not the only ones. I wasn't going to tackle a Roman Catholic, but people took, uh, said, come on, let's talk about them as well. So I, I went ahead and, and sh shone a spotlight on them. And was that eye-opening? There's some of that stuff I didn't even know. I didn't know that the Pope was considered the vicar of Christ. I heard the term, but I never really looked into it. And it literally means he, he speaks in the authority of Jesus on this earth. And they claim that he's infallible. Whoa, that's why they can get off the standard of the word of God and get on the standard of their traditions because over the many years, I mean, the popes have been around for many hundreds of years now, whatever they say, if they stand in the position of Jesus, whatever they say becomes scripture, even if it's total nonsense. And that's how, and that's how I, we got on all that Mary stuff. And I didn't make it up. 
I refer you, I gave you the thing, look up their catechism, look what they say about Mary. And they're, they're not on a Jesus only standard either. They're on a Jesus and. You gotta do Jesus and you gotta do a whole bunch of other things in order to stay saved or to possibly get saved within the Catholic Church. It matters what you say about Jesus. Come on, somebody. It matters what you say about Jesus. And so, which is why we end on this subject today, and it's the subject of Islam. Islam. And you say, why Islam? Well, it's a totally different belief system, someone would say. Yes, but it's worth noting, first of all, because of their history. And you need to know this um, concerning them. They are the third oldest of the big three religions out there. The, one of the, of the big three is Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Ju Judaism is over 4,000 years old. Christianity is over 2,000 years old. And Islam is 1,400 years old. So which one came first? Judaism. And then which one came second? Christianity. And which one came third? I want you to keep that in mind. So they're the baby. Islam is the baby. But of the three, you need to know this, Islam is the world's fastest growing religion, not just in the world, in this country, America, in Canada, and in Europe. The fastest growing religion in the world. It's on schedule to leap from 1.6 billion when they last measured in 2010. By 2050, it's supposed to be 2.76 billion people strong. 2.76, according to Pew study. And at the time, it says, at that time, Muslims will make up nearly one-third of the world's total projected population about, of about 9 billion people. One-third will be Muslim. Shouldn't we understand their religion if one-third of the planet's going to be Muslim? Don't you think? So we're going to spend a few minutes. In fact, this is the projected change in the global population from 2010 to 2050. Uh, Christianity is still the highest one, but they are projected to catch up and possibly even surpass us. I, I think it's going to be way sooner than 2050 for a couple of reasons. Because we talked about it in this service, 70% of Americans consider themselves Christian. Who believes that? I, I mean, honestly, who believes that? They may be culturally Christian. Their mama was a Christian. Their daddy was a Christian. They're born into it but practically following after Jesus. Who believes 70% of this country are Christian? And, and so within that number, you have Catholics, you have Protestants, you have Orthodox, you have a whole lot of people that don't even, disagree, don't even agree with each other. You know? And so that number of Christians in this world is a lot higher. But let me tell you the, the second, which is the most important reason why they are scheduled to, to, to surpass us. The average U.S. births, a few years ago was two and a half children per household in the United States. In Europe, it's one and a half children per household. You know how many uh, uh, Muslims, uh, is, uh, the average in their, in their families? Five or more. Five or more. They, they don't abort their children, first of all. And in one generation, <laughs> With them having five or more children to your average two and a half here, one and a half in Europe, 
What do you think is going to happen to the, to the change? Even in democratic nations, what do you think is going to happen? Where majority rules. Just think about that. So in one generation, there's going to be a lot more Muslims in this world for that reason alone. Now, I want you to keep that in mind as you view this brief overview video, and then we can discuss some of the highlights. It's just a few minutes. Take a look. What is Islam? Well, Islam, with its 1.2 billion adherents worldwide, is one of the major world religions that, along with Christianity, which has 1.9 billion adherents, and Judaism, which has about 14 million adherents, teaches monotheism, which is the doctrine that there is only one God in all existence. Like Christianity and Judaism, Islam traces its roots back to the patriarch Abraham, Genesis 12. The word Islam means surrender or submission, and it comes from the root word salam, which means surrender. A Muslim or Muslim, which means one who surrenders to God, is an adherent of Islam, a religion with precise theological doctrines about God, judgment, heaven, hell, angels, prophets, and salvation. The Arabic word for God is Allah, which has become a kind of name for the God of Islam. Now, Islam teaches that Allah is the one and only deity in all existence. That's in the Quran, chapter 5, or Surah 5, verse 73, and also in Surah 112, verses 1 through 4. It teaches that He is supreme and all-knowing, Surah 40, verse 20. He's ever-present, different from all of creation as well, and that's in Surah 3, 191, and of course he is in complete control of all things. According to Islam, Allah created the universe in six days. That's uh, Surah 229 and also uh, 25, 61 through 62. And that all that is, is allowed to exist by his permission and will. Allah is a non-Trinitarian God that's uh, found in Surah 573. They teach that He is absolute and eternal and a single, single person. Now the Quran, which means the reading in Arabic, is the sacred book of Islam and is broken up into 114 chapters called surahs, which cover the subjects of ethics, history, law, and theology. It is a very highly revered book, and then the Muslims use it as a direct, literal word of God. The Quran was supposed to have been delivered by the angel Gabriel, also known as the Holy Spirit, delivered to Muhammad over a 23-year period after Muhammad's initial encounter with Gabriel in a cave when he was 40 years old. Muslims consider Muhammad, his full name is Muhammad ibn Abdullah, to be the final prophet of God in the world. Muhammad was born in A.D. 570 in Mecca and died in 632 A.D. Second only to the Islamic belief in the unity and the oneness of God is the supremacy of Muhammad as Allah's prophet. But Islam acknowledges that several other prophets preceded Muhammad. The major ones are Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and Jesus. These prophets gave revelation from God, which were written in scriptures, mainly the Old and New Testaments. These predecessors to Muhammad are considered great prophets who spoke for God to specific people and whose message was meant for that time. Jesus, according to Islam, was simply one of the many prophets that came. Therefore, Muslims deny the Christian doctrine of the deity of Jesus and the need for His atoning sacrifice. That's found in Surah 157 and 158. They also deny the Trinity, Surah 5, verse 73, and they deny much more. According to Islam, no sacrifice is needed to be forgiven, only faith in Allah, 
sincere repentance and obedience to Islamic law. That's found in Surah 3, 135, Surah 7, verses 8 and 9, Surah 21, verse 47, Surah 49, 14. In fact, in Islam, the greatest of sins, called shirk, is to attribute partners to God. In other words, to say that God is a trinity of persons is an unforgivable sin to a Muslim. In addition to the Quran, there is this work called the Hadith. It is another source of authority in Islam, though it is second to the Quran. The Hadith is a collection of the sayings and deeds of Muhammad as recorded by his companions, by his followers. They are the oral traditions and they are considered authoritative and instructive as commentaries and applications of Quranic principles and they contain additional principles not found in the Quran. According to Islam, the Hadith are the inspired truths of God transmitted to us in the style and words of Muhammad. But by contrast, the Quran is supposed to be the exact words of Allah, which are supposed to be perfectly, perfectly preserved and avoid of any corruption whatsoever. In Islam, all Muslims are united by the common faith, irrespective of class, location, race, or gender. Therefore, they have a special bond of unity and equality. The primary truth of Islam is found in the first pillar of Islam known as the Shahada, which says this, There is no true God except Allah, and Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. Islamic theology also teaches that angels were created from light, that jinn are another race of beings created from fire, but they're invisible and yet they're all around us, and that there is an eternal judgment that we're all going to go through to get to paradise and it's based on your good works, your bad works, and the desire of, of Allah. People will go to hell for the bad works and the good for the, uh, to go to heaven for the paradise. They teach that Jesus was never crucified and that drinking alcohol is forbidden as well as gambling. Within the first two centuries after its inception in Arabia, Islam spread very quickly, often aided by the sword. Now it went into North America and it spread up through Europe and into Spain and it went out east into Ind India. Now presumably about one billion people are Muslims worldwide with adherents, adherents on every continent and nation. It is perhaps the world's fastest growing religion and second in size only to Christianity. Like most ancient religions, there are sects within it, there are divisions within it, and Islam is no, no different. The major divisions in Islam are the Sunnis and the Shiites. The Sunnis are the largest group and they comprise about 90% of the Muslims. The Shiites, though smaller in number, are significant in Islam's history. And they presumably occupy the lands of Iran, Iraq, Lebanon, Syria, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, and other Persian Gulf states. Now, the most important place of worship for the Muslim is the mosque, which is always pointed towards Mecca, which is the birthplace of Muhammad and is located in Saudi Arabia. All Muslims must face Mecca during their time of prayer because in Mecca there is a, what's called the Kaaba, a cube structure allegedly built by Abraham which contains a sacred stone. When a Muslim is in Mecca, he or she faces the Kaaba when praying. Many Muslims hope for Sharia or Sharia law, the complete rule of Islamic law in the entire world. To this end, Muslims are seeking more converts, they are attacking other religions, uh, other religious systems, both by the sword and by word. They are moving into every nation and seeking political power wherever they can achieve it. Islam is a growing and aggressive religion that seeks to submit everyone on the planet to its rule.
Hello. Yeah. And so the big question is, is we're told that Islam is a peaceful religion, but is it? Is it? And what exactly do they believe? Well, you just heard a, a summation. There are basically two factions within them, the Sunni and the Shia. The Sunni represent about 85, 90% at 1.6 of the, of 1.6 billion Muslims around the world. And 15% are Shia, and the divide is largely over who was succeeding the, the Prophet Muhammad when he came, when, after he died. Now, there was a period of time in our country, remember when, when we, we, all we heard about was caliphates and beheadings that was all in the news. This was all during Bush and Obama, right? You remember that? Anybody remember that? And then Trump came along and squashed it all. But I promise you, even with that, do you think, do you think they're still out there? The question, is, the question is, why there's so many religious extremists among Islam? Why is that? And the answer is because a fundamentalist believes the fundamentals of their faith. I would be considered a fundamental Christian because I believe the fundamentals of my faith. We went over seven of them last week. I'm a fundamentalist Christian, but my faith doesn't call me to, you know, to, to, to kill anybody. <laughs> you know? and, so, and so they are fundamentalists, and they literally believe what, they, what their holy book teaches. Their holy book is the Quran that came through Muhammad, supposedly through the prophet Gabriel. We'll get back to that. And, and the Hadith, which is a collection of traditions concerning sayings of the prophet Muhammad, which include accounts of his daily practice. They call it the Sunnah, and it constitutes the major source of guidance for Muslims apart from the Quran. So what, does the, what do the fundamentalists read in the Quran and in the Hadith that cause them to act? Well. It says here in the Quran, it says, Allah may be exalted, says, when you encounter those infidels who deny the truth, Islam, then do what? Strike their necks. That's in Quran, Surah's chapter and verse, uh, and verse 4. So they, when, they, when they see stuff like that, infidels are anyone who doesn't believe in Islam, just, just so you know that. They take it literally. It goes on to say in, in the Quran 2, 191 to 193, and slay them wherever ye find them and drive them out of the places whence they drove you out for persecution of Muslims is worse than slaughter of non-believers. But if they desist, then lo, Allah is forgiving and merciful and fight them until persecution is no more. And religion is for who? Allah. Quran 2, 2, 16. Fighting is prescribed for you and ye dislike it but it's possible that ye dislike a thing which is good for you, and that ye love a thing which is bad for you, but Allah knoweth, and he and ye know not. So not only do these verses establish a baseline of violence that can be virtuous, but it also contradicts the myth that fighting is intended only for self-defense. I found an article online from the Rockwood Register star line. This is what he said. It was entitled, A Peaceful Islam? A question mark. It says, Harlem Johnson's claim that Islamic terrorists betray the teachings of, of the Quran was very much misguided. Presumably in his desire to believe that Islam is a religion of peace, he assumed a lot about what the Quran actually says. He says, the Quran has 123 verses that call for fighting and killing anyone who does not agree with the statement, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. Jews and Christians specifically included among those infidels. Matter of fact, the most persecuted people on the planet today, who do you think they are? 
they're Christians. They're Christians. They're not homosexuals or transvestites like, like, the, mood, like the, the, the TV's telling you or Washington. It's Christians. Number one persecuted people in the world today. The Quran Surah 533 says about infidels, they shall be slain or crucified or have their hands and feet cut off. Surah 95 says, slay the infidels wherever you find them and lie in wait for them and establish every stratagem of war against them. Surah 47, 4 through 9 says, promises paradise to whoever cuts off the heads of an infidel. This was according to his research. So some of these 123 verses are quite graphic with, with commands to chop off heads and fingers and kill infidels wherever you may find them. And the Muslims who do not join the fight, they're called hypocrites. Hypocrites by the fundamentalists and they're warned that Allah will send them to hell if they do not join the slaughter. Now granted, I will agree that possibly not all Muslims believe this. They say it's only a small percentage of Sunnis uh, that, that believe this, but let's do the math with that. If there's 1. You know, uh, 6 billion Sunnis on the planet, and let's just give them 10%. 10% believe what Muhammad wrote in the Quran, supposedly from the, from the angel Gabriel. Believe this. How many, how many fundamentalists are running around <laughs> at 10% of 1.6 billion. Help me out, somebody. All right? That's a lot of people. Don't you think? That's a lot of people. And so again, where, where does the Quran come from? The Muslims believe that it's, it was revealed. Uh, the word Quran means recitation to the Muhammad, who, who they call God's final prophet, through the angel Gabriel. And, re and regard the Quran and the Sunnah as the fundamental sources of Islam. So this is where I want you guys to put your thinking caps on. What's the oldest religion out there? Oldest one of the big three, I mean? Judaism. What's the second? Christianity. Then along comes Muhammad, hundreds of years later, and he claims to have an angelic visitation from not Moroni, <laughs> But the angel Gabriel of all people, presumably the same Gabriel who visited Daniel in the Old Testament and uh, Zechariah and Mary and, and, and Joseph in the New Testament. And apparently when he visited Muhammad, he changed his mind entirely about what he told Mary, that you shall give birth and he shall be called the son of God. Now, what did, the, what did the Apostle Paul say? That if anyone comes behind me preaching a different gospel, if me or an angel, even if someone claims an angel from heaven declaring you a different gospel, what did he say? Let them be accursed. And so apparently, Gabriel, who's supposed to be the messenger of God, came to the prophet Muhammad and told him a totally different story <laughs> than, what, than what he told Mary and everybody else. Now, even with that, the Muslims don't regard Muhammad as the founder of a new religion, but a restorer of an ancient monotheistic one of Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and the prophets. 
Islamic tradition holds that Jews and Christians, listen, distorted the revelations that God gave to these prophets by either altering the text or introducing a false interpretation or both. And so their thing is they want to introduce Sharia law, which or Islamic law, which has been developed as a tradition of rulings that touch on virtually all aspects of life and society. And this tradition encompasses everything from practical matters like dietary laws and banking and warfare and welfare. And Islam is, is supposedly the predominant religion in Africa, Middle East, and Asia. And you find communities of them in China. Matter of fact, they're being persecuted in China, the Balkans, and Eastern Europe, and Russia. There's also a large Muslim immigrant community in other parts of the world, such as Western Europe. And of the total world Muslim population, they say about 20, only 20% live in the Arab countries. So they're all over the world. And what do they believe? Again, the, their law requires them to, to what they call uh, establish the five pillars of Islam. It, uh, five practices essential to Sunni Islam. The Shia subscribe to a different set of pillars which substantially overlap the five, but it, essentially these are the five. Are you ready? You should have an outline. Wait, write this down. The, sh the Shahada, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably mis you know, pronouncing it here and there, but basically it's the testimony of faith. The testimony of faith. If you want to become a Muslim, it's very easy in terms of getting in the door. All you have to do is say, I testify there is no, there's none worthy of worship except God, and I testify that Muhammad is the prophet of God. That's all you have to do. And then you start your journey. That's not, that's to start it. <laughs> but there's a, what did I say, the difference between, well, I'm going to tell you this at the end, but there's the, the difference between, I've said it before, the difference between Christianity and every other religion on the planet. Christ, every other religion on the planet says do. There's a whole lot of things you have to do in order to stay in good faith. And Christianity says done. Jesus did it all. Come on, somebody. Okay, so these are the things that they have to do to stay a good Muslim. The shahada, they have to do a salat, which is their ritual prayers. Well, you've seen that. You've seen it before, which must be performed five times a day. Do you have a picture? Yeah. You see where they, each salat is done facing towards Mecca. You heard in the video. It's intended to focus their mind on God and, and is seen as a personal communication with him and expresses gratitude and worship. It's compulsory, but flexibility and specific is allowed depending on circumstances. And many countries, uh, Muslim countries, they'll have what they call the Adhan, which is their call to prayer, uh, which is broadcast publicly from local mosques at the appropriate times. And so when, these, when, they, when, they, when they hear that certain signal, everyone stops. They take out their mats five times a day. They're bowing and they're praying. The prayers are recited in Arabic language and consist of verses from the Quran. The third thing, the third pillar that they're required to do is the zakat. Zakat, which is almsgiving. Write that down, almsgiving. It's the practice of giving. It's based on accumulated wealth and is obligatory for all Muslims who can afford it. A fixed portion is spent to help the poor or needy and also to assist the spread of Islam. The zakat is considered a religious obligation as opposed to a voluntary charity. And the well-off they're told that the well-off owe to the needy because their wealth is seen as a trust from God's bounty. And the Quran and the Hadith also suggest the Muslim give even more as an act of voluntary arms. Now, this is what the Hadith 
says about the Sakat. It calls it a bridge of Islam. It says it, has, it was narrated from the noble prophet, blessings of Allah be upon him and his family, that he said Sakat is the bridge of Islam, so whoever performs it can cross the bridge, and whoever withholds it will be detained beneath it. And if Sakat extinguishes and it, the Sakat extinguishes the anger of the Lord. Now that don't sound too good. We're talking about giving now. Compulsory giving. It goes on to say, Hadith number two, the Sakat and its importance. It says, Allah has not imposed anything more serious than the Sakat upon this nation, and due to it, many of them shall perish. Apparently, some of them aren't doing it. That doesn't sound optional to me. Number three says, it's coupled with prayer. It says, indeed, Allah the sublime and glorious commanded three things and coupled them with three other things. He prescribed the prayer and the sakat together. Those whoever, th- thus, whoever prays and does not act upon the sakat, his prayer shall not be accepted from him. Did you hear that? If you do not give to the system, <laughs> this guy is saying your prayers aren't even going to be heard. Let's read one more. Hadith number six. The reason the sakat is the accountability of the rich. It, on the authority of the imam Jafar, Right, they, they say a whole lot of stuff. Let me just get down to what he says. Indeed, Allah has imposed on the rich pe- people a measure that will suffice their poor ones. Thus, if the needy one is at loss or is overly strained or is unclothed, then it, then it is due to what the rich one has withheld. And indeed, Allah, the sublime and glorious, shall hold the rich ones accountable for that on the day of resurrection and shall punish them with a painful punishment. Now, who wants to be punished with a painful punishment if you don't give? How many people would be in trouble? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> in, in, in Islam, <laughs> you would be in trouble. All right? uh, consequently, Islam is a religious system with more money because nobody <laughs> wants to be punished with more money than most other religions in this world. Second, probably only to the Catholic Church. <laughs> and some say it's richer than even them, considering most of the oil is controlled by these Muslim countries. Uh, all right? Now, each year it's estimated anywhere from 10 to $30 billion is spent to advance Islam all over the world. Here's the good news. The zakat requirement to stay in good standing is a minimal, minimum of 2.5 of, your pers- of, your, of a person's extra wealth. But they encourage you to give more. The fourth one that they're required to do is the psalm, psalm, or fasting. Write that down. And they do this during Ramadan, which is, uh, Ramadan is the ninth month of the Islamic calendar. Last, uh, the month lasts 29 to 30 days based on the visual sightings of the crescent moon. Muslims must not eat or drink, among other things, from dawn to dusk during this month and must be mindful of other sins the fast is to encourage a feeling of nearness to God, and during it, Muslims should express their gratitude for dependence on him, atone for their past sins, and think of the needy. And the fifth, pil- the fifth pil- uh, pilgrim, I mean the fifth uh, pillar, is the Hajj, the Hajj, which is the pilgrimage to Mecca in Saudi Arabia. This is it up there. What do you call it? The Kahabab, something like that. Every able-bodied Muslim 
who can afford it must make the pilgrimage to Mecca at least once in his or her lifetime. When the pilgrim is about 10 kilometers from Mecca, he must dress in the Aram clothing, which looks like this, which consists of two white seamless sheets. Rituals of the Hajj include walking seven times around the, the, the Kaaba, touching a black stone, which they believe Allah put in there years ago. The pilgrim of the, the Hajj, Haji or the Haji is honored in his or her, her community, although Islamic teachers say that the Hajj should be an expression of devotion to God instead of a means to gain social standing. If you ask a Muslim if, if, they, want, if they did all these pillars, well, what's the first one? Help me out, somebody. What's the first one? The Shahada, which is what? What's number two? And number three? Number four? The fasting. And, and number five? Which is the pilgrimage to Saudi Arabia? Required to go at least one time in their lifetime. Okay. If you go to your average Muslim and ask them, if you adhere perfectly to all of these things, the Sharia law and everything else they require you to do, let's say you started when you're 16, you're now 55 years old, and you haven't missed one day of prayer. You, you got on your knees five times a day for all your life. You pray toward Mecca. You do all, and, and you were able to afford to go to Saudi Arabia. You did all these things. Does that mean that you are going to make it into paradise? You know what they say? Only Allah knows. You can work like that your entire life and you have no assurance. But there is one way they can know. There is one way, now this is where the fundamentalists come in, and why the extremists adhere to a sixth pillar. Say a sixth pillar. <laughs> and the sixth pillar for the extremists is jihad. Anybody ever heard that before? And it, it means to strive or to struggle. Jihad is considered the sixth pillar by a minority of Sunni. So, again, how many Sunnis does it take? To, how many? 10%? That's a lot of, lot of jihadists or people who believe this running around. But jihad in its broader sense is classically defined as exerting one's utmost power, efforts, endeavors, or ability in contending with the object of disappropriation or condemnation. Depending on the object being a visible enemy, the devil, the aspects of one's own self. And so it could be something that you're working on within. But according to their writings, it also involves, well, you heard me read a bunch of them. According to a well-known and widely transmitted hadith of Ayman, explicitly notes that male martyrs will enjoy the pleasures, listen, of 72 virgins in paradise. Here's, this is where it says it. A martyr has seven special favors from Allah. They are, he is forgiven his sins with the first spurt of blood. And so in the moment he dies, his sins are forgiven. If he dies in the struggle. Understand this? You can do the first five and have no assurance. If you do the sixth one, if you die in the struggle, your sins are forgiven according to this amen. He sees his place in paradise he is clothed with a garment of faith. He is wed with 72 wives from the beautiful maidens of paradise. 
That's where the 72 virgins comes in. I don't know what the women get, but the men supposedly get virgins. He is saved from the punishment of the grave. He is protected from the great terror, which is judgment day or hell. And on his head, he, is, he, he has placed a crown of dignity better than any jewel. The world and all, con- and all it contains, and he is granted intercession. And, the 70, and, and watch this, and 70 people of his household will enter paradise. And so when we were watching all these things and they were strapping bombs to little children over in the Middle East, understand that it's not just you that gets saved. It says you can also buy uh, admission into paradise for 72 of your family members or people in your house. I didn't say it. They said it. That's why it becomes, when you tell this to some poor you know, Muslim running around on the street who has nothing, or the mother who's, who's willing to you know, allow their children to do this, and this person has done a great thing in their religion because she's now paved the way for the family to go to paradise. The big question is, I think, what does Islam say about Jesus? What do they say about Jesus? Because that's where the rubber meets the road for all of them, right? right? They say he was a prophet, but the Christians got it all wrong. They deny Jesus was crucified and was resurrected. They deny it, thus totally destroying the substitutionary atonement and salvation of, of the shed blood. And so the entire Christian church is destroyed by attacking this simple yet fundamental point of historic fact. Now let's remind ourselves of what the Word of God says in Galatians 3, 1 and 2. This is what Paul said. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? And so Paul and all the Gospels say Jesus was crucified and resurrected. But Islam comes along and says, no, he was not. No, he was not. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. For what I received, I pass on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than how many? Five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, and though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, Paul says, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. And so over 500 people have went to their graves witnessing that they saw a resurrected Jesus. 600 years later, <laughs> Gabriel supposedly told, supposedly told Muhammad that all of that is hogwash. People who weren't there contradicting the ones who were Islamics totally deny the writings of the gospel. Write that down. And let me remind you again of what the Apostle Paul said of anyone coming after him, which will do that, Galatians 1, 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we, we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say it again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Islamic claims against Jesus as the Son of God are simple. I want you to write this down. 
they basically say God has no sons. God has no sons. The doctrine that Jesus was, was God with us in human form is attacked whenever they get a chance with great viciousness. And the result is that Jesus in their religion, he's just a man, or just a prophet, just another prophet. In fact, they are so emphatic about it. How, anyone's been to Israel? I've been to Israel. But we've all seen pictures. Have you ever seen this picture, the Dome of the Rock? I used to think, oh, wow, that's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful building until I figured out what it was. It's a mosque, okay? It's a mosque, and you know what they have inscribed on that mosque? There's several things, but on the outside and on the inside, inscribed in Aramaic, it says, there's only one God, Allah. Muhammad is his son. I mean, Muhammad is his prophet, and God has no sons. That's their testimony to the world. The Apostle John would strongly disagree with that. First John 22, it says, Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the, help me somebody? Is the who? Is the Antichrist denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Is Islam and Christianity compatible? No. <laughs> Not just no, but heck no. <laughs> okay? Speaking of Antichrist, and we're going to close with this, because the name of the Muslims, they, they have a, uh, an eschatology as well that involves a coming of a Messiah. And they call him the Mahdi. Write, write that down, the Mahdi. And he shows up in their teachings uh, and, and in their eschatology out of great turmoil. And I want to point out a couple of things that they say about him <laughs> versus what our Bible says. They are taught that when this person comes on the scene, again, we're told that there are a lot of religions. New Age is looking for somebody to rise up and start a, a one-world government. The Jews are looking for the coming of their Messiah. They, they, they've rejected Jesus, so they're, they're looking for that. Islam is looking for somebody who's coming up out of the ranks who's going to establish a one-world religion. Now watch this. This is what they say. When he comes on the scene, he will be a descendant of Muhammad. He will emerge after a, great, a, a period of great turmoil and suffering upon the earth. He will usher in a new world order under Islam. He will enter into a seven-year peace agreement with a Jew of priestly descent, and he will conquer Israel for Islam and lead the faithful Muslims in a final slaughter against the Jews. He will set up a worldwide caliphate and rule from the holy city, Jerusalem. Remember, again, under Bush and Obama, when they were running wild trying to set up caliphates, they were encouraged because this guy cannot show up until, until chaos is on this earth. And so they want this caliphate to come, to come forward so this, so this caliph, caliph could be uh, realized. 
He will set up a worldwide caliphate and rule from the holy city of Jerusalem. He will have supernatural power from Allah over the wind and the rain and the crops. And he will lead military actions against all those who oppose him. All right? This is who they're taught to look for. Now, you superimpose what they're taught against what the Bible says the Antichrist is going to do. Watch this. He will set up a new world government and religious system when he comes. He will enter into a seven-year peace agreement with the Jews, and he will break it in three and a half years, declaring himself to be God. He will force submission to him. You won't be able to buy or sell unless you take his mark. And he will come on the scene showing miraculous signs. He will set up a rule from the holy city of Jerusalem, and he will kill all those who won't submit to him. The Muslims are taught to embrace and submit to this Mahdi when he shows up on the scene. The Christian is told to resist someone like that, even if it costs you your life. All right? And so when, when the Antichrist shows up, <laughs> new ages are going to accept him. The Jews, having rejected Jesus, <laughs> is going to accept him. And if he fits the qualifications for the Islam, they will accept him. Apparently, they're all going to, many of them are going to rule from Jerusalem. Why, why you say, why Jerusalem? If you want to figure out what's going on in the prophetic time, in terms of where we are, keep your eyes on Jerusalem. It's one of the smallest places. It's smaller than Rhode Island. But this, the prophetic time clock is all happening based on what's going on in Jerusalem. People ask, are you in the last days? And many people thought they were in the last days years ago, wars, rumors of wars, this and that. But we are the first generation that, that one of the major prophecies that, that, that the people are going to be, come back to Jerusalem and, uh, and birth again. Prior to that, it was some thousands of years <laughs> they weren't in there. They were dispersed. But they're back. 1948, Israel was born again, and a lot of these end-time prophecies are surrounding the fact that the Jews are back in Jerusalem. Now listen to me. Revelations 14.9, it says about the Antichrist, it says, A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, and that, that might just be symbolic, whoever submits to this, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. Again, the Bible says, when he comes on the scene, even the very elect will be deceived. So Islam is looking for that Messiah, and they're all looking for this guy. And the Bible says, be careful, because when he shows up, he will come with some kind of supernatural something. The scripture says he's going to be given power by the, by the beast to do things and to deceive many. And so when it comes to our faith, the difference between all these other religions the difference between all these other religions and Christianity, and I said it already, they all say do. 
Christianity says done. Amen? And the choice is simply this. You can have, the, the enemy will push you into religion all day long. When people ask me if I'm religious, I don't claim that I'm religious. I do claim that I have a relationship with Jesus. Amen? Because I'm not about what you wear, what you, you know, all this other nonsense. You got to do all this other stuff. Listen, the Bible says when, when the Holy Spirit shows up in your life, he'll start to write his laws in your heart. In other words, he will start to put his desires in your heart. You will start to desire what he wants you to do. Amen? And those old things that you used to do, you're not going to feel comfortable doing anymore <laughs> because the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your heart and you will start to live. Not as a result of, okay, I'm working my way to heaven. No. It's all going to be under God's grace. It's all going to be because you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Amen? And him and him alone. If you get nothing out of what I've said over the last few weeks, just remember that. All the other religions say do. Christianity says it's done. Jesus declared on the cross, it is finished. And all I have to do is to put my faith completely, repent of my sins and turn to Jesus, put my faith and trust in him and him alone. And the Bible says, I will be forgiven and I will have my place. When it comes to these other religions, always ask, well, what do they say about Jesus? What do they say about Jesus? And if it's a Jesus and religion, get out of it. Because there's a bondage that's being put on you. But if it's a Jesus only, placing your trust in him alone, that's where we want to be. That's the freedom that God has purchased for us in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? All right. If you've not yet accepted Christ, as we come to a close, I said, I, I choose a relationship. I'm not preaching a religion. Matter of fact, when, I, when, I, when we started this church, we are affiliated with the Southern Baptists. They called me in because I named the church Living Water Community Church. They want to know why. They said, we've polled your area, and Baptist has a good name. I said, I wouldn't care if they had a good name or not. I said, I've been preaching and teaching the gospel all since I've gotten saved. And never once have I given an altar call or invitation to become a Baptist. I just don't think it matters. I've called people to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And so... So when people ask what we are, I say, yes, we're, we're, we're part of the Baptist organization. But I'm not preaching. I'm not trying to make, make Baptists. I'm trying to make followers of Christ. Amen? Amen? And so if you've not yet asked Jesus to be your saving your Lord, it would be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer of commitment to him. Let's everyone bow our heads and close our eyes. Say something like this from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to live a sinless life, die on the cross, and three days later, rise from the dead. And because of what he did, he took the penalty for my sins upon himself. I believe and I receive Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. Come into my life, 
come into my heart from this day forward. I surrender my life to you. Now let me encourage you that if you said that prayer and you meant it on the authority of God's word, you are saved. That is the beginning of your walk with the Lord. Allow God to fill you with the Spirit, to walk with you and talk with you. Get into his word. Start in the book of John. How about that? Start in the book of John. And then if you've prayed to receive Christ online, write somewhere. Put it in the, in the notes. Um, uh, just respond and say, I prayed, I prayed with Pastor Rick today. If, you, if you're here today, there's a let's get acquainted. Take that out and say, I prayed to receive Jesus. I recommitted my life to Christ. Um, and, and let's start your journey that way. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.